the book of Mark. And I want to set up just a little bit of where we are. It was kind of funny when um, David said, this is kind of where I'm going to be in Mark when it's your day to speak. So look at that. And I thought, oh, it's a perfect story because it's about food. And I just finished talking about fasting. Perfect. Perfect. A uh, little irony there. But um, let me kind of set up because this, this story that I'm going to do today, where I'm, we're going to be today, is kind of in the middle of uh, Mark chapter 6. So I want to set up where we were last week in Mark because it goes right into this story. So last week, um, David started at the beginning of Mark 6, and that's where Jesus had gone back to his hometown, and he had not been well-received at all. Um, It was that whole you-can't-go-home-again kind of thing. Um, A prophet had no honor in his own hometown. Jesus went there, and everybody saw him as how they knew him when he was growing up there. Oh, this is the carpenter's son, and isn't he Mary's son? And they really, they didn't take a lot of stock in what he was saying about who he really was because they, they didn't know him in that context. They knew him in a different context. And then, in that same, right after that, Jesus then gathers his 12 disciples and he sends them out. And he gives them authority and power in his name to cast out demons, to do healings, to teach in his name. So the, the 12 are sent out away from him. And they're out doing ministry. I think this is their third, probably third tour, kind of tour of ministry that Jesus has sent them on. So they're out doing their thing. And while that's going on, John the Baptist, who had paved the way for the Lord, he had, he had been the one to come before Jesus and pave the way, and he had baptized Jesus. Um, he is put in prison. And while he's in prison, he's beheaded. And the disciples hear of this, and and the, his head was put on a platter and presented. But they go, they go to the prison, and they get his body, and they go, they go and bury it. So they have just come back from this ministry, which is you know exhausting in itself. And now someone that they knew and that they loved, that they were that was close, has been killed, and and they kind of take care of that. So we're going to pick up where the disciples are coming back to Jesus after they've done all of that stuff has been going on. Um, so we're going to pick up in Mark 6, um, 30. And I'm just going to read this first, and then we'll look at it real close. This is Jesus Feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. 
And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay, so if you have been in church at all, especially as a child, you've heard this story a hundred times. As a children's pastor, I've told it thousands of times. And typically, what we look at when we look at this story is we, especially when you're teaching it to children, what I always looked at and, and taught the kids was Jesus can do anything. Like, he, he's a, he can do miracles. He can do anything. And that's true. And then, of course, for the little kids, it was always about sharing. You share. You share your lunch. You know, it's just good to share. Because in this particular story, this is one. There's, there's few stories that are told in all four Gospels. The first three are almost alike, all alike. But the, all four, this is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. So to me, that says it's significant. It isn't just another miracle, if there is such a thing. It isn't just, you know, about the little boy. Because in John, in the book of John, when he's telling the stories, when he mentions the little boy, it's the one that has the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And so we tell the kids, it's good to share. Share what you have. And the Lord will use it. And that is true. But as I started really looking at this this week and praying, I thought, Lord, why it's so significant that you would make sure that all four guys put it in there? Like, why is that so significant? We've seen you done miracles before. The people that you do this, they've seen miracles before. That's one of the reasons they chased you around the lake. So why is this one so significant? And as I was thinking about it and praying about it this week, the, Lord, the word the Lord kept bringing up to me is need. The word need. And in this story and in our lives, I really felt like the Lord said there were three kinds of need. There's immediate need. There's perceived need. And then there's real need. And in this story, Jesus takes care of all of them. And he gives the people who are watching a vision of the need that they don't even know they have yet that's coming. So we're going to kind of break this down a little bit to immediate need first. Obviously, that's the needs that are, that are closest to our heart. So we're thinking, I need that. Now, for the disciples, like I just told you, they had just come off this big, they're doing all this ministry, they're exhausted, they've had to go to this prison and get this body and bury All of this is going on. And so what they need is rest. They just need rest. They need to be with Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And so that's why he says, let's get in the, get in the boat, let's go to the other side. We're going to have this solitary time together. Now you have to think in the disciples' minds, they're like, yes, finally, some rest. We won't have all these people. We won't have to do anything. We can just go and rest. And that's their immediate need. They need that. The people who literally go around the lake. Now think about this. Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. They're going across the lake. And here's these people. They go all the way around on foot to get there. And somehow they beat them there. And you have to think, was the current slow that day? Did, well, I don't, you know, somehow the people beat Jesus to the other side. And their immediate need. Because if you, read, if you read this story in all the four Gospels, they all, the two, two of them say that these people, their main thing that they were going over there for was to be, for healing. 
they knew that this was the man who did miracles. He healed people. So they're getting around the lake. Either they need healing, someone in their family needs healing. So that's their immediate need. And Jesus answers our immediate need. Not always the way we think he does, though. Because the disciples, again, what they needed was rest. They needed time with Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says, get in the boat. We're going across. We're going to have some solitary time, just some time together, some quiet time, some rest. But it doesn't happen the way the disciples, I mean, if I had been the disciple, I would think, I literally would have thought, great, nice, quiet sail across the lake, we get to the other side, we're going to sit down, we're going to have all this quiet time, he's going to talk to us, and that's not how it happened. Because these people were right there when they got out of the boat, ready, needing something. So it doesn't tell us, but I have to think that, that Jesus filled that need for them in the boat. From the time they left one shore to the time they got to the other, He had filled that need in them. It doesn't always look like we think it's going to look, but he does it. And he did. When he got got out of the boat, Jesus looked and he had compassion on those people. And it even says that he thought, these are like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to talk to them and teach them, and he heals them. He begins healing their sick. So he's meeting their immediate need too. Now, if there's thousands and thousands of people, the story tells us there are, I don't, it doesn't say that he healed everybody that came to him or that everybody got to get to him. But their immediate needs were being met. But for us, I think, when we think of our immediate needs and we're asking Jesus, please fix this. You know this is a need. We sometimes get caught up in how we think it should be fixed. And we even kind of question him a little bit. On is it going to is it fixed the way I thought it should be fixed? I'll tell you guys a, um, a personal story. My um, I put my house on the market. <clears throat> I was living in Kennesaw with my two boys, and I put my house on the market because I felt very clearly from the Lord sell this house. It was too big for me to take care of by myself. It was way too expensive. Put it on the market in a very bad time to try to sell a house. But I obeyed. I put it on the market. It was on the market for a year. A year. And every day I prayed, Lord, I know you told me to do this. And I know that you know this is a need for me. Financially, it's a need to get rid of this house. Emotionally, it's a need to get rid of this house. Physically, I can't keep up. I need to get rid of this house. I know you know that. You're the one who said put it on the market. But every day I prayed for a year. My kids prayed. They just didn't like cleaning up their room every day. But they prayed every day, every day. So finally, we get an offer on my house. Literally, almost to the day a year later. It was like within a week of being a whole year. We get an offer on the house. It's not great, but it's okay. It's doable. I can, I can do that. I had 10 days from the time I got the offer to the time I had to move out at the end of a school year with two teenage boys. Not fun. But it was, I, we were going to do it. I had 10 days. So I had found this other house I wanted to buy, and I was like, okay, this is how much I'm going to get out of this house, and I can go buy this little house in Marietta City. Oh, it's going to be perfect. This is, God's just, it's working all out. God knew my immediate need, and, and he had taken it a year for it to be answered, but he was doing it. So three days before my closing on the house I'm selling, we get a call. My house didn't appraise for the, for the price. 
I'm like, well, how bad can it be? $15,000. I didn't have an extra $15,000. I didn't have it. I couldn't let an extra $15,000 go so I could buy this house. So I pretty much fell apart. I say for half a day, but that's really making it small. For a couple of days, I was a basket case. Because I kept saying, I don't understand. I had this need, you answered it, but now I have no place to live. My house is still going to close, and I have no place to go. But once again, God knew the answer before I even asked the question. I ended up renting a house that I love, that my kids love. And it was, it's been a huge blessing. And the Lord knew, I found out later, I didn't need to buy that other house. There was a reason he didn't want me to buy that house. So God does answer our immediate needs. He knows what they are. He knew the disciples needed rest. He couldn't, he knew the crowd was going to be on the other side. He knew that. He answered their need probably in that boat before they got there. The people who came and needed healing, he answered that need. He answers our immediate needs, but we have to be careful sometimes that we don't question how he's answering them. We need to be open to say, Lord, answer this need how you see it's for my good. And then thank him for it, even if it doesn't look the way we thought it did. So that's immediate needs. God answers the immediate needs. The next one is kind of perceived needs. Now, in this story, I think it's the disciples. They have this perception of what the people need. They have this perception that everybody's getting hungry. When, if, when you read it, nowhere does it say that the people said they were hungry. But the disciples are perceiving this need in the people. So let me read that part. Um, that's in um, 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So they have perceived this need, and they're asking Jesus, okay, we, we see this need in these, these people, so we need you to fix it. We need you to do something about it. But Jesus says to them, but he answered, you give them something to eat. So the disciples have perceived this need. Again, nowhere in there does it say that these people have started grumbling, I'm hungry. It doesn't say that any kids are coming up and crying and saying they're hungry. It doesn't say that people are walking around asking, where's the food at this event here? Nothing. But the disciples have perceived that there is a need. Now, it could be that culturally they knew that at this certain time of the day, everybody's going to want to eat because that's when everybody eats. Maybe that was it. But whatever the reason, instead of looking, hey, what can I do, they go to Jesus and they say, what are you going to do? And Jesus looks right back at them and says, you give them something to eat. And I think that's the thing for us is we, for, we know of needs. They might be really immediate needs for people that are in our lives, our family, our friends someone we see on the street, someone at work, whatever. And we, we stand there going, what am I going to do about it? And Jesus says, do something. You almost think, Jesus is probably thinking, didn't you just get off a ministry tour? Like, 
I just anointed you to do stuff. You have all the power. You have all of my authority. But you're just standing there with your hands like this going, what are we going to do? And I wonder how many times we do that. If the need seems so big that we just assume there's nothing we can do. And the thing about it is, if you think about, think about it, Jesus had, did not need his disciples to do anything. Could he have fed those thousands without their help? Absolutely. Could he have fed those thousands of people without the five little loaves of bread? Absolutely. But he invites us to do it with him. He wants us to. He's telling us, you are mine, and I'm giving you all authority and all power in my name to do something. And he wants us to do something. And the thing about it is, even if all we have is the five little loaves and the two little fish, he's going to multiply it. It is not our job to fix the whole thing. It's not our job to, to do it all ourselves. All God's saying is, give me what you've got. I'll do the rest. In John, when he's telling the story, and the little boy is the one who has the five loaves of bread and the, and the two fish, it says there are five barley loaves and two fish. And, that's, and in the Bible it says that's a poor man's lunch. It wasn't like this little boy was kind of the, you know, had something that nobody else could have. That's a, it's, just a, it's just a poor man's lunch. And really all we can ever give the Lord to do something with is a poor man's lunch. That's it. But that's all he wants. He just wants us to make the effort. He wants us to give something. And he will be the one who multiplies it. I mean, look what he did with these, this little bread and fish. They said to him, that would t so they're, they're kind of arguing like, i got to give up something here? That was, they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked, go and see. He's saying, take stock. What do you have? Do you have my compassion in you? Do something with it. Is, is my Holy Spirit in you? If it is, then you have all power and all authority. Do something with it. Don't stand back. Give me what you've got. Then look what he does with it. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. They didn't have to bring much. All they had to do was make the effort. Jesus multiplied it. Jesus knew how much food they need to, needed to be, there needed to be. We were talking about um, Lent a few minutes ago. The, um, the, the, the way that Lent is done is it's kind of looking at the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted by the devil, by Satan. And one of the things that happens in that scene is, I mean, Jesus is fasting for 40 days. He's hungry because even though he was God, he was also man on earth, and he felt every pain we felt. He felt hunger. He felt he felt tired, he felt hot, he, all of that. So he's hungry, and Satan says to him, make these rocks, if you're God, make these rocks into bread. 
And Jesus doesn't because he knows he's being tempted. He says, you know, you can't live on bread alone by, by the word of God. But the thing is, because of that scene, we know that Jesus could have done anything to make bread in this situation. He could have sent his disciples and said, just go pick up a few of those rocks over there. I'm going to turn them into bread for all these people. He could have done any of it himself, but he invites us to do it with him. So when we perceive, when we know that there's a need in a family member, in a friend, in a coworker, in somebody down the street, all God wants us to do is say, what can I do? He just wants us to try, to make an effort. I have another um, story, personal story. I have a friend, a very close friend of mine um, that I used to teach with, and um, she, um, right after we had stopped teaching together, her husband was diagnosed um, with a, just a severe um, cancer. And I remember the day that I got the phone call. Um, I, well, I cried for about two or three days because I did, I just, that's all I could do because this friend, she's, she's such a godly woman and her husband's such a godly man and, I, and they have three children and when, she, when I was going through a very rough period in my life, she was in my classroom every day. She came in there every morning to see how I was. She prayed for me every day. She spoke truth into my life. She gave wisdom. She hugged my kids when they needed a hug. I mean, everything. And all of a sudden, the tables are turning. She needs me. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm completely, this is one of those times where I'm like, hey, Lord, I know this is a need, but I'm like the disciples. What can I do? The problem is this big, and I'm one person. So honestly, for a few days, I was being disobedient because I was not, using the power and authority that is in me because of the Holy Spirit to minister to her. God was not asking me to cure his cancer. God was not asking me to have every single word, the right thing to say to make her feel better. I was putting that pressure on myself. The hope that she needed was going to come from him. All I had to do was do something. So finally, as I prayed, I said, what am I supposed to do? And God said, just pick up the phone. Come on. So I did, and she said, just come over. I just want to have a normal conversation with a friend. That's all she wanted. And so I did, and I spent, the, I spent a few hours at her house, and all I did was sit there and listen and talk. God was giving her hope. God was ministering to her. That wasn't me. I was giving my silly little five loaves and my two little fish. God was making it something that she needed. So we've got these immediate needs. They're real. And we've got these perceived needs that God wants us to get involved in when we see them. But underlying those two things is this real need. This real need for Jesus, and I think as I was as I, I told you, like I was I was asking the Lord, like why this particular miracle? Did you make sure that these guys who wrote this Bible down put it in all four gospels? Because there's lots of miracles in there, and we see those, and people had seen those, and they heard you teach, and all that. But there was something about this one that Jesus was using to say, you don't just need me for food, your immediate needs. 
You don't just need me for the things you see other people. You need me for something deeper. Remember in this passage, he said he got to the other side and they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's exactly what they were. Sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to turn over to John. This same story um, is in John 6. And I'm going to read just the last little portion of the story. On 614 is where it starts. So again, same story. This is the one that mentions the little boy. He's the one who had the bread and the fish. And Jesus multiplied it. And this is how it ends for John, 614. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So these people are saying, okay, this is the guy. This is like a prophet. Because their forefathers, had had, they had had bread in the desert, manna, kind of supplied through Moses. And so they're saying Jesus is like this prophet. He's going to supply us food in the desert like Moses did for all those guys long ago. And Jesus is kind of saying, they're going to try to make me this earthly king, and he gets out of there because that is not what his purpose was. Because the thing about it is, this miracle and anything that Jesus did, any event that Jesus is involved in, it wasn't the event itself that was important. It was what Jesus was pointing to that was important. Everything Jesus did, every miracle he performed, every word that came out of his mouth, every parable he told, was all pointing to the fact that he was the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. And that no one was going to get to the Father except through him. Every single time. That's what the underlying need was. The underlying need was, you need a Savior. And I'm him. But these people, their immediate need's been filled And they're thinking, great, he's this prophet. He's going to keep giving us food. So Jesus gets out of there. So then Jesus goes out, and he goes to the other side of the lake. This is a little bit later. Look on um, John 25, 625. So Jesus is on the other side of the lake, and these same people, basically the same group of people who've just been fed, they're after him again. This is what he says. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one is, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, 
and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. They had been satisfied, satisfied with the regular bread that Jesus had fed them. And he's saying, but what I was trying to tell you is, what I'm trying to tell you is, that's not all there is. Yes, I feel immediate need. Absolutely. Yes, I will use you to help fill the perceived needs of other people. But what I'm telling you is under all that, I'm what you need. I'm the only place where there is real satisfaction. Where you're satisfied all the time. Not just for today, but every day. He is the bread of life. That's what he was pointing at the whole time. Everything he does, everything he did, in these stories we read, is to point to this, that he is the bread of life. And the thing about it is, when we think about those immediate needs and those perceived needs, honestly, we have to think about the real need underneath. Because all of our immediate needs are always going to be fulfilled in him. And when we have to wait on those immediate needs, we need him. Desperately. We need him. We need the hope in him that it is going to be answered. He says, wait, my child. Just wait. That it's going to be answered. It might not look like we think it's going to look, but it'll be better because it's his way to fill the need. When we see these perceived needs in other people, we have to. We have to go, Lord, what is their real need? First of all, we have to say to him, I need you. I'm going to give you what I've got, Lord. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to give you what I've got, but I need you to multiply it because this problem my friend has is way too big for me. And then we need to say to the Lord, I see, I perceive what their need is, but you know what their real need is. Fill it. Give them the hope they need. Give them your bread of life. I'm going to read that verse, that last verse again in John 35, 6.35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Never. Jesus uses his words wisely. If he says we'll never go hungry, he means never. If he says we'll never be thirsty, he means never. But we have to go to the source. Jesus is the bread of life. As you're going into Lent this week, as you're praying and you're asking, Lord, what is it you want to do in me? What is it you want to do in our church body? What is it you want to do in our community? And you're saying, Lord, what is it? That hunger that I'm going to have for whatever it is I give up, whether it's a thing I do, watching TV or whatever, or it's a food, I want that to be filled with the bread of life. I want it to be filled with you because you promised I will not be hungry. I will not be hungry. Think how amazing at the end of 40 days, if we all did that, if we all said, Lord, we want the bread of life. We want it. How he's going to transform us. How he's going to transform our bodies. How he's going to transform the people around us.
because he's asking for it. As we're closing out, we're going to go into ministry time in just a second. I want to invite you. If you if you have an immediate need, that is real. It's real. If you're saying, Lord, I need a job or I need I need more money in my bank account because I can't pay the bills. Or, you know, I need I need a friend. I need someone in my life that I can that I can count on. Whatever it is. That is real. And the Lord wants us to come to him with real, immediate needs. I, I encourage you to come up and let somebody on the ministry team pray for you. I think when some people, we're always kind of afraid to ask for things for ourselves because we always think we should be praying for other people, and we should. But God, God knows what we need anyway. He just wants us to say it to him. He wants us to be vulnerable in front of him and say, Lord, this is what I need. If that's not, if you, if there's someone in your life that you, you have a perceived need for them, you know what their need is, and it is too big for you to handle, and you just want to say, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is all I've got. Tell me what to do. Come and let somebody pray with you for that. Or if this is the first time you've heard about that Jesus is the bread of life, that he satisfies, that you will never go hungry, that you will never be thirsty, I strongly encourage you to come up and let somebody pray with you. To pray into that and say, Lord, I want that. I want you to be what satisfies me. So as we go into ministry time, I'm going to pray for us, and then um, I think Chad's going to come back up and um, do some ministry time for us. And then um, uh, after they do one ministry time song, they're going to end us with um, one kind of song to, to just throw open the floodgates of God's blessings and grace to come down. And so I encourage you to stay through that last song and, and uh, Chad and his team will dismiss us at the end. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just um, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. That you are a God who meets every need. Lord, that you are um, the bread of life. Lord, that we, um, your word says, and it is a promise, we never have to be hungry. We never have to be thirsty when we, um, when we are um, satisfied with the things that you give us. Lord, when we let you be what satisfies us. Lord, I do pray for each person in here. I pray for us corporately, Lord, as we go um, into Lent. Lord, I pray that you will just begin to show us um, where we have been feasting on other things instead of you. Lord, we want to replace anything in our lives that's pulling at us, that's tugging at us, that is taking us away from you, that's distracting us. Any of that, Lord, we just want to say no to that, Lord, and we want to say yes to you. So I pray, Lord, for every hunger we feel, that you will fill us with your bread, your living bread. Again, Lord, we just we love you and we praise you. In your son's name, amen.